Do you practice with your students in your lessons? Absolutely. And I think that's the only way you ensure that they are practicing you know, properly or practicing at all. I think that uh, the lesson really is, the whole point of it is to practice and to teach how to practice. Um, everything we do is done through practice. Um, so yeah, I mean, you have to do it in the lesson. Um, that's basically all I do. In today's episode, Michael Ritchie, my guest, is going to talk about practicing. Have you had students who don't practice? Do any of your students not know how to practice? How do you train your students to practice properly? How do you ensure that they are actually practicing the right way at home? How do you motivate students to practice? And he's also going to give us five tips for practicing effectively and efficiently. There's a lot of good stuff in here. Hope you enjoy. Welcome to the Piano Sensei Way. I am your host, Clinton Pratt, and we help you master the art of running a successful piano teaching studio. And today I'm really excited because, well, I don't know when this is going to come out, but this is the first guest recording that I'm doing. So I'm very excited and honored to have Michael Ritchie with us. And I met Michael, I don't know how many years, it's been several years. Maybe you can help me remember. But um, we share a lot of things in common. And that's why he's a guest because as you know, this is the piano sensei way, which is the best way. So I have to have people that agree with me. <laughs> but anyway, Michael, um, tell us just a little bit about um, your studio and how long you've been teaching. Yes, thank you, Clinton, and thanks for the invitation, and good to see you. Um, I've been teaching probably about seven or eight years, and um, I'm in Nashville, Tennessee. I run my own studio. It's a travel studio. We make house calls, teaching in students' homes. Uh, yeah, we've known each other, I think, uh, since about 2019, 2020, I, I think. Yeah, we connected through the Piano Teacher Central Facebook group, I think and then um sort of became friends and then we both did um Dal Crow's Eurythmics training yes together yes <laughs> the topic for today is going to be practicing so how to get those little buggers to practice or um how to teach them how to practice how to teach our students how to practice or do we teach them how to practice? I don't know. There's a lot of, um, you know, there's a lot that goes into that. So, Michael, um, were you a good practicer growing up taking lessons? Uh, absolutely not. <laughs> By my own <laughs> standards, you know, now. But uh, that was just because I didn't know what practice was. I didn't know how to practice. Um, but that's what brought me into, got me into teaching anyway. Um, I started a program at Belmont as a music minor. And then I just was told, Hey, do this. And then I came back and did it a week later. And then I kept getting A's. My peers were not getting A's because they weren't doing what they were supposed to. Um, but I just, I fell in love with just, it got really enthusiastic about practicing and what real practice was. But yeah, I didn't grow up knowing how to practice. Yeah, I didn't either. In fact, 
I remember, well, I kind of took lessons on and off growing up, but I think about when I was nine or 10, taking lessons where I rode my bike to the teacher. Um, I didn't really practice a lot. And the funny thing is, I didn't really know I was supposed to practice. <laughs> so, uh, you know, that's one thing maybe as teachers we should think about, like, are we just assuming that, you know, <laughs> students know they're supposed to practice? My teacher never told me. I, was I guess definitely she asked to practice. <laughs> yeah, she just I think I could kind of like get through it whatever she asked me to do in the lesson, so she just maybe assumed I was practicing. But I didn't know. I would just show up and she said, "Okay, we're going to do this one." And I I kind of played the piece and then I went home and I did play the piano at home, but I was more just like fiddling around. So I think my mom just thought, "Okay, yeah, he's practicing." But anyway, I just thought that was funny cuz I didn't really know I was supposed to practice. And then um yeah, it wasn't even until maybe my grad school that I really got really good at practicing. My teacher actually helped me practice in our lesson. So I don't know. Do you do that? Like, do you practice with your students in your lessons? Absolutely. And I think that's the only way you ensure that they are practicing you know, properly or practicing at all. I think that uh, the lesson really is the whole point of it is to practice and to teach how to practice. Um, everything we do is done through practice. Um, so yeah, I mean, you have to do it in the lesson. Um, that's basically all I do. Uh, it's really hard getting an advanced student, particularly into this idea. If you get, if they had transfer and say, you don't just play it over and over and over and over, you have to practice. When I was a new teacher, when I first started teaching, I thought that was cheating, you know, like, <laughs> should I actually like practice with my students? Should, like, I thought we were just supposed to like imbue all this, you know, inspirational wisdom and they practice on their own and they're supposed to show up and, you know, isn't it spoon feeding or, you know, whatever, just to be like, play that first part. Okay, let's do it again and see if you can do it three times in a row. Wait, let's fix that. You know, I thought like, I thought that was cheating or something. Hmm. Yeah, that's a good point. Cause I, I don't know. I never had it modeled. So I was always kind of trial and error when I started teaching myself um, besides in at a college age. So, you know, for younger elementary students didn't really know what that looked like, but uh, yeah, it definitely felt different to not have them painstakingly go super slow sight you know sight read the first time and then send them home with it um rather we are all already starting in sections we're demanding that they play with dynamics and play expressively um from the get-go even if it's a slower tempo and um shorter section so that was that was very new um but i think a most more effective way to teach yeah, and let's think about a specific example. So, like, say you have a, I don't know, eight-year-old, seven or eight-year-old beginner, and you turn the page in their method book, and here's the next piece. So what do you do? Yeah, or, you know, some, I don't know, some teachers might just say, okay, here's the next piece, and that's your assignment, so go home and practice, and I'll see you next week, right? 
So I'm, I'm assuming you don't do that. Um, what, what would you do to like, do you go ahead and start right then with that new piece and start practicing with them? Um, so yeah, when you turn to a new piece, um, I, we're actually not going to sight read it first for usually I'm going to play it for them or play a part for them or listen to recordings. That's why I like methods that have recordings available and, you know, with Dalcro's rhythmics, we're moving first, we're getting it into our ears, into our bodies. Um, and then we might be ready to start sight reading and, you know, what I call sight reading is much more than um, just going note by note and decoding the music, you might say. So, um, yeah, I mean, sometimes I start them at the end. Sometimes I start them at the hardest place in the music. Um, sometimes I just identify this is the pattern that recurs throughout. And so we just do that, teach it by rote. Um, yeah, there's just, it's pretty cyclical, but tend to start when I turn to a new piece by moving or um, listening some combination of that. Yeah, that's good. Definitely helps, you know, prepare them so they're not just jumping yeah. right in. And I expect that in practice. I tell them, hey, start with this when you practice tomorrow because it's going to be kind of new again. Yeah, let's maybe break down what you would do. Let's say you're going to help them practice a specific section or something like obviously hands separate first and then together or or just together or tapping the rhythm or or what can you give us an example yeah i mean all those of course going to depend on a piece of music um i i think that after we've listened to it and we've moved to it the moving of course is about rhythm primarily um we're going to sometimes take it hands separately. I would say that depends on the texture. Um, if we're talking about an elementary student, I don't do a lot hands separately in this, unless there's kind of a harder pattern in one of the hands. Um, otherwise, yeah, I mean, we might go one measure at a time um, or four measures at a time, but I, definitely want them to understand we're stopping at this this measure please don't play further um, so we're not taking the full thing all at once yeah that's definitely an important point and maybe that seems obvious um but but it's yeah. not and it's not to it's them. not obvious right you and know, you I, again, you might say that, you know, you might tell us to, okay, now when you practice, you know, don't just do the whole thing. But um, how do we know they're really going to do that, right? And so that's why, like you said, I think it's important to actually do that right there in the lesson, right? Like, okay, start there and stop um, here. You know, we could point or you could cover it up with whatever and then have them do it, right? And then right. sometimes I found that the first task I'm trying to get them to do is actually just identify the section or see if they can stop at the right spot. Right? Yeah. So like, yeah. we're trying to practice this spot. But the first thing I'm trying to get them to do is just play that section so that we know that that's what we're talking about. Right? <laughs> right. So yeah. they might not even be getting better at the section. But I'm just like, 
can you start here and stop there? And then they play and a lot of times they just keep going, right? And I, I wait a second and then finally I interrupt, right? I'm like, okay, um, now remember, what were we trying to do? What, yeah. Which part are we practicing, yeah. right? This is why listening at first is so important because they'll know sort of how it's supposed to sound and a little, most of the time they'll be able to detect what's going wrong. Sometimes they don't, but it makes it easier because they have something to go off of. I mean, it's an oral skill that we have to rely on. Um, it might be a good time to talk about a specific example of a student who transferred to me and was coming in and just played her pieces once or twice a day. And she thought that was practice. Mm -hmm. um, we'll just, we'll call her Bonnie. Bonnie came in and she had played several years, uh, was probably about mid elementary, but things were starting to really heat up and she didn't know how to handle them. So I really just had to take and assign one section on multiple pieces every week and say, you're only allowed to practice this much. So I think that's one, one way you can help us, especially transfers. But if you have a current student and you want to kind of change the way you're going to teach practicing, then uh, it, it would work the same way. Just take one section. You don't have to assign the whole piece every week. That's sometimes relieving <laughs> to students, um, but it really helps them to, to think the way that we want them to think is to sections and um, categorize the different things they have to do. Right. And then I'm assuming then when Bonnie comes back the next week, you ask for that specific yes, section. Yes, we start right? there, right? We don't go to something new first. Um, well, sometimes I do once they start getting getting the, into the habit of it. Um, Cause I don't want to start the conversation with, well, did you practice? Did you, you know, what if they didn't, then it sets a bad tone for the lesson. Mm. Yes. Yeah. That could, that's, that's a whole other topic. Well, it's the same topic, but we could go on <laughs> with that for a while. I know some students right when they come in and, and you say, how are you? A lot of times they'll start giving an excuse for why they didn't practice, right? Like, oh, I'm good, but I I was busy this week. I had a party and a blah, 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 you know, and I can tell they're sort of like inching their way towards or, or like an indirect excuse yeah. why they're not prepared, right? And yeah. I kind of don't care. I mean, I care about them, but, but I mean, if I'm just going to help them get better, then, okay, I mean, even if they didn't practice at all or even if they practiced a lot, we're still going to work on stuff. So yes. Yeah, we can, we can practice because that's what I do in the lesson. That's my primary job. And in, in my, my opinion. Um, yeah. And do you, I know some teachers get um, irritated when clients or parents of students call a lesson, a practice, <laughs> right? Like, Oh, when's the next practice? And they're all offended, like, it's not a practice, it's a lesson, you know, practices for, you know, basketball practice, they go to every day, and they practice at home, but the lesson is not a practice. Yeah, it doesn't really bother me that much. Um, I don't have many people who call it a practice. Um, more, I get more of like class. Like, yeah, well, it's not really a class, but <laughs> right, just one on one. But yeah, it's yeah. it kind of is a practice, so I, it doesn't bother me either. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I would just say it, it takes time. Um, like going back to Bonnie, she transferred, and 
probably took her a year to really get around to the idea of like, okay, this is what my teacher expects. And this is now we've established a really good practice routine. Um, you can really get somewhere. And um, so, yeah, it, it takes a lot of time. If you want to switch this up for your current students or for new students coming in, it, it takes a little time to adjust to this new way of thinking, perhaps. Do you want to connect with other teachers in person? Do you want to learn new teaching strategies and explore outside the box approaches? Join us at the Creative Teaching Conference, a radical retreat to recharge and reinvigorate your teaching. This unique conference was started by me and my two friends and colleagues, Christopher Oyle and Tony Parlapiano back in the summer of 2022. All three of us had so many ideas we wanted to share, but instead of trying to get selected for an MTNA or NCKP conference, we created our own event. We each present a few workshops, but we also have guest presenters as well. Topics include improvisation, composition, student-led learning. You'll experience inspiring workshops on creative teaching strategies and creative performance ideas. Learn about different ways to structure lessons, such as online groups, memberships, and subscription models. We eat meals together and plan social time so you can connect with teachers from all over the country, forming new musical friendships that will last a lifetime. Mark your calendars for July 7 to 9, 2024 in Cincinnati, Ohio. Check out creativeteachingconference.com for more info. Do you have some top tips or um, strategies or, or ways of practicing that you use with your students? Yeah, yeah. And um, I'll, I'll give them to you and perhaps you'll want to unpack them. I always tell parents, you know, the number one question, well, how long should we practice? Well, I think frequency over duration. Frequency is much more important than duration. Um, just go and touch your instrument, you know, <laughs> like go and sit at the piano and play a note. <laughs> if we can start with that, that's that's going to, I'm going to be pretty happy. Um, but I think it's going to be much more important to come more frequently in smaller amounts of time than sit at the piano, set a timer. Oh, I have to practice for 30 minutes, but what I'm really doing is maybe 10 minutes of practice and 20 minutes of fiddling. Mm -hmm. And fiddling's okay, but usually means they don't get to the assignments that they are assigned. The second yeah. thing I think planning is super important. So teaching, we are teaching students how to plan their time. Um, I had to do this even in college. I still do it. Now as an adult professional, I have to write down, I really like to write things down. This is what I'm planning to do. This is the piece. These are the things I'm working on uh, doing that sections i put sections down in student assignments um you know we have to teach them how to actually stop at the end of a section pick maybe pick up in the middle of a piece or at the end of a piece rather than starting at the beginning each time i think the third thing is tempo and length are uh, what makes something more difficult or less difficult so tempo and length and being able to manipulate that as a student it's really important um fourth thing always play artistically doesn't matter how slow 
doesn't matter how if you're playing one hand at a time but um it the touch matters the staccato legato matters the um the rhythm matters everything matters from the get-go and finally i think one last thing is one time is not enough right exactly <laughs> i like the analogy of like if, you, if you're practicing basketball like uh, shooting free throws or something mm-hmm. and you're trying to get it in the basket and like you miss it a whole bunch of times and then f- finally i get one in yay i'm good at basketball right <laughs> and it's like um you only got it in once right like yeah. nobody would even kids understand like that's silly you're you're not good just because you got it in once yeah right and so yeah it's the same with a musical skill or whatever you're trying to play a section and you're trying it over and over and then you finally get it and then you go on like no that's you only got it one out of 20 <laughs> times or whatever right yeah yeah and sometimes it happens right at the end of a lesson and you know you just kind of gotta move on but just impress upon them that one time's not enough so and this this semester i've really has started putting actual kind of suggested numbers when I write their sections down, like do this four to five times or do this, whatever, you know, so hopefully throughout the week, they've done it 20 or 30 times or maybe more, depending on what it is. Right. Yeah. I like, um, what works a lot is three times in a row. Mm -hmm. Um, because in a row is important or even seven times in a row, that's pretty hard, but because if you, you know, get it wrong, get it right, get it wrong, get it right, get it wrong, get it right. Like back and forth, you're still at only 50%, you know, like, you right, want... right. You still want, I think that's hard to teach younger minds, but you know, you want really want uh, like 85 plus percentage of success, right? Maybe you want 90%. I don't know. But yeah. <laughs> you know, you're trying to teach them that, but it's hard to explain percentages to a small child. Right. So three times in a row, um, I, I sort of like it. I, I think it's sometimes hard for students to get something in a row three times. Yeah. Well, it, it definitely is, you know, like on the third one and like they just missed the last note or something. Oh, but it, you know, you can kind of turn it into a game and it, it usually I find it helps them kind of focus because like, okay, I got it once. Now I'm going to, you know, I, I want to get the second time. Like they kind of learn how to focus, you know, take a breath, think about it, and give it my go instead of just, I'm going to do it again. I'm going to do it again. I'm going to do it again. Mindlessly. Yes. Yes. Pausing between passes is so important. We get in such a, me- a mess when we just go, go, go. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Okay. I love those five things. Actually, let's go back. Um, so the first one, frequency over duration, as far as getting to the piano often. Yeah, I I definitely like that as well. Yeah, sometimes parents ask, you know, oh, how how much do they practice? And yeah, I give the same answer. Like, well, more often than less often is better. <laughs> so yeah, even if it's just a little bit of time, like you yeah. said, like just go touch the instrument, you know, like, yeah. yeah. Definitely. Instead of, you know, I didn't practice for six days and then I yeah tried to cram it for an hour or two hours before my lesson or something. Yeah. 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 And they, of course, I always tell them the first 24 hours after lesson is super important. So 
get to the piano. Yeah, I know. And I think that might be opposite than what students would think. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, like, oh, I just had my lesson and it went really well. And so they're kind of like on that high and like not really doing it the same day or the next day or maybe the right. next day. You know, they're like, oh, shoot, I have a lesson coming up. I should practice. Yeah. But yeah, like you said, really, you should do it like that same day when you get home or, you know, do the same things and repeat it. Yeah, it's good. And then uh, number two was planning. Now, do you plan with a student in your lesson? Like, let's come up with a plan of how you how you should practice or or how does that work? It really depends. I, I, I will with much older students, especially middle schoolers. Um, and intermediate level students. So um, I think for younger students, it's a mu it's much more of I'm writing notes and hopefully their parents will read it to them. And I do make a point sometimes to say, hey, sit down with them, read probably the first two practices, read through the list. <clears throat> and then you know, maybe have them tally or something every time they practice something on a list because I, you know, you get a student come back. Well, I didn't, I didn't remember that on the, you know, it's written on the list. Yeah. <laughs> I don't remember that or I forgot whatever it is, you know, and I, I just try to make it where they can't make that excuse anymore. <clears throat> and I don't want them to feel bad. I, I don't want to set that kind of tone in the lesson, but <clears throat> you know, um, so for younger students, it's talking to a parent about making sure they go through this list. And I'm also saying, hey, look what we just did. We did practice. Can you do this five times this week? The same thing we just did, you know, and they have the steps written down for them. So hopefully they'll get into it after a while. A beginning yeah. student, I don't actually expect to practice. So if they've just started six months, probably not practicing that much. I mean, four measures, eight measures. Why would they want to spend 30 minutes on that? Right. Yeah. It's more like once we have, like they're playing their piece in their lesson or we're working on it together. And then I might tell them like, good. Now, you know, you can go play it at home too. Um, yeah. Instead of like go practice. Cause they're kind of like, you know, they can play their piece in 10 seconds. And so it's like, what are they going to do for 20 minutes or whatever? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, Number three was tempo and length. Yeah. And you were saying, yeah. And I think about the, I think about this the same way too. So you're on board with the piano sensei way, Michael. Yes. <laughs> um, yeah. How, how fast or slow you go and then how big of a section or a small of a section. Right. So obviously the, the most difficult and complex thing would be play the whole piece really fast. Right. And the, the easiest thing to do would be play a very, very tiny section or even one note, two notes, really, really slow. Yeah. <laughs> right. And so as you change the factors of the speed or the size of the section, then you're increasing the difficulty. Mm -hmm. Right. And so you want to always be in the, the, well, what do you want? You want music is a, a steady flow of yeah sounds. So. Yeah you don't want to be stumbling and yeah right otherwise that's not music exactly and on on that point i think um if you're you might get in the habit well we've practiced in sections okay but do you make sections out of those sections so sometimes you know one through four and then 
five through eight. And then we need to do one through eight. But don't remember, don't forget, not just one time, multiple times, because it's different doing one, one to eight than it is from five to eight. So you almost have to come back and, okay, reduce the tempo again, because uh, we made it longer. And then right, exactly. build back up. And same thing with intermediate students when they're doing one measure or one beat, you know, add a beat, a little slower, and then bring the tempo back up. I was such a huge um, realization for me when I started learning how to practice. And then, you know, when I was doing that, I was playing Bach and stuff like that. Um, so I didn't get to think about it until I started teaching with about how younger students might work that out too. Right. Yeah. So for example, if you were going to try to read through or play through the whole piece, like a Bach fugue or something, um, you're going to have to go really slow so that it's easy enough to do it. Right. Like, yeah. Basically like sight reading, but really slow. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But then you could also like, what if you want to go to go up to tempo or even a little beyond the ideal tempo? Well, then you just do a really small section or one measure. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. yeah. I think that's really good. And with then, you know, we can help students in lessons, like if they try something and it's, they kind of struggle a little bit, then, okay, how can we make it easier? Let's either go a little slower or do less of it. Yeah. Right? Or yeah. both. And then sometimes they get frustrated and they've learned it really well at a tempo. They forget, oh, I need to bring the tempo up a, a little bit because the tempo markings Allegro or whatever. And they're playing it at, you know, Largo. <laughs> right. Yeah. And I think drastically changing the speed or the size of the section is helpful too, right? Like, in other words, you don't just have to go from playing the whole piece through super, super slow to playing the whole piece through pretty slow and then playing the whole piece through, right? At mm -hmm. 40 and then 42. And then four yeah. like, you can say, oh, I wonder what this is like at 120 just do three notes but it right and so then you can kind of have some well sometimes it's more satisfying sometimes to play like mm -hmm. how it's supposed to sound i don't want to just go at glacial speed exactly right yeah yeah and i think having introduced most pieces orally first and through your rhythmics that really helps them tremendously getting the tempo aspect, especially for fast pieces. When I grew up, I, did, I was not expected to play everything at the tempo marking. That was not a helpful thing for me when I started playing <laughs> really advanced stuff. So, because mm -hmm. um, I really I struggle, I still struggle with fast things. Um, so I wish I would have worked through that at a lot younger age. Yeah. Okay, good. That was the third one. And then the fourth one was always play artistically. Um, yeah, and I think that's a good one. And I think there are different views on this too, because I've heard some teachers say, you know, like that's expecting too much. Let's just learn the, let's just learn the notes. Yeah. Uh, right. And then add things later, you know, right. add the expression, add the dynamic, you know, once you've learned everything, okay, now let's put on the polishing. Yeah finishing touches i think that comes from a sight reading primary approach like your primary thing is to teach them sight reading that's fine um but i think there's much more satisfaction in the music when you can play a retrondo and you can 
do a crescendo or diminuendo. You can play with beautiful legato touch or hand balance and those sorts of things. So much more important to me as a listener and a teacher. Yeah, and the sooner you're doing that, then it's going to it's going to stick, right? Yeah. In other words, like you yeah. spend weeks or months learning the notes and the rhythms and then, okay, great. Now be musical and the recital <laughs> is tomorrow. No. Right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's the way I grew up, but I just don't agree with that. And it goes back to number three on tempo and length. Like um, while you're playing at a slow tempo or a shorter section, try it artistically because it's easier when you're doing that. Right, exactly. Yeah. And I had that realization too, even, I don't know, it was way too late in life where, yeah, I kind of had that realization of playing slower and like just letting it be musical and beautiful and flowing. And yeah, it's like, that's still music, even if it's slow, yeah. right? But it's not music if it's just because it's up to speed and yeah. like, it's you're stuttering of, or it's yeah. it's not there's no phrasing and yeah that's that's not music yeah but like you said or or some arguments against that are like that's a lot to do right like yeah wait right from the beginning i'm going to play the right notes and the and the fingers and the rhythms and yeah. the dynamic and make a phrase and i'm well practice right? is how you do it how yeah. you do it is so much important so that covers technique too Mm -hmm. Is the student playing this block chord um, kind of clunky or you know, choppy, or is it, you know, soft and rounded? What kind of sound? So you're also teaching them uh, good listening skills, I think. And I will say, when I um, they'll do they'll try it, and whatever we're working on, I'll say, okay, did you hear it? Or if even if I am so excited they got it, and I say yes, I'll say do it again. So there's a lot of times mm -hmm. I'll say, did you hear it? And they'll go, well, whatever. I say, okay, let's do it again. You're listening for this. And they do it again. And if they can't give me an answer, I don't let them go yet. Yeah, yeah, that's good. Right, and speaking of the technique, uh, even with like a, I don't know, five-note scale or something, right? It's not just here. I know the notes and the fingers for the scale. Do, 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 do. Right. It's like we want it to sound nice, right? Yeah. Even and maybe even with some inflection. Do, 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 do. So like I'll accompany my students while they play a scale, you know, with mm -hmm. like with a crescendo and with all the stuff so they're hearing that. Like you're saying, getting them listening and to make a nice sound, not just I'm typing out the notes of a yeah. scale. Yeah. I don't know if we're talking about practicing scales today, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe we'll do, yeah, we'll do part two of just one on scales <laughs> te technique. Yeah. I have a lot of opinions on teaching scales. So, okay. Well, yes, good. <laughs> next, next time. Um, I'll make a note. All right. And then the fifth one, which we kind of expanded upon already because it was, it was at the end and we talked about it was um, one time is not enough. Yeah. yeah. And I do this with students in the lesson. Yeah. I'm assuming you do too. Don't not do just... it just one time in the lesson because that, that kind of right. translates into their, their at home practice. Um, right. Exactly. So, <laughs> yeah. So they, 
you're working on, you know, hey, did you get the F sharp? And then, and then they get it once, and then you say, okay, good. Now go practice and make sure you're always doing F sharp. Yeah, it's like we want to train that habit. So let's do it again and still get the F sharp, and let's do it again and three times in a row or seven times in a row. I have this quote, which you'll probably appreciate, and I want the audience to hear too. Um, this is from Richard Cronister, and here it is. It's one of my favorite quotes. If the student can do it accurately without us, he's ready to practice it at home. If he cannot do it without us, he has not yet learned it, and we have not taught it, and we should not assign it. Nothing is hard for the student who is ready. Good teaching makes the student ready to learn without us and without difficulty. That's really wonderful because student readiness. Yeah. I mean, that's covers so many philosophies, especially mm -hmm. like, you know, the Gordon music learning theory. It like, yes, you, you want your students to be ready. And I think that's our job as a teacher is get them ready to learn. <laughs> Yeah, and that whole the whole idea of that first part was if the student can do it accurately without us, he's ready to practice it at home. Mm. That's I think a lot of teachers would think that was weird or that that's not what they do. Like the student kind of struggles in the lesson and then they say go practice so that it's better. Mm. Right? But he's saying they need to be able to do it without you. You know, in other words, watch them do it without yeah. you in front of you like yeah. have them demonstrate it and then they go practice that and do it again at home yeah and his second sentence is if he cannot do it without us he's not learned it and we haven't taught it and we shouldn't assign oh, it yeah we shouldn't assign it that's a big one um i mean there's many times i start something in a lesson and i say i don't want you to practice this <laughs> that's almost tempting the <laughs> tempting them to do it <laughs> yeah but I mean, I will tell them, like, I, I don't expect you to practice this. We haven't done it together. Right. And then ideally, you know, over time, I mean, we want students to become independent learners where for sure they're doing, you can just say, oh, you know, I think you would be great at playing the Chopin Ballade. You know, here it is and come back next week, you know, like, <laughs> yeah. See what you can do with the first part or, you know yeah. what I mean? Like, I mean, they, hopefully at that point they're curious and they're starting to, you know, they have good reading skills and they're playing it at home for sure. Um, yeah. I'm not sure that I've mastered that with, with particularly younger students um, who aren't motivated. And that gets into, I know another question you were going to ask, but um, yeah, I, I think sometimes having students understand like you can go on. So that's the opposite of don't go on, but, you know, you could go on because it's going to be the same kind of hand balance here or the same patterns in this section. Which this could probably be a whole other show as well. <laughs> um, how do you motivate students to practice um, or do you motivate them to practice? Um, I can't say that I do much. I think that my main practice philosophy is that they they will naturally practice if I've done my job right in the lesson. Like they should really want to 
hear the end result and get to it. Um, so that's a big job for me <laughs> is picking, engaging music and that sort of thing. Um, I do think having performance opportunities in place and making sure they're moving towards those uh, is a good motivator for a lot of my students and parent parental involvement sometimes a big thing to motivate their practice because I think most parents want them to practice and then other parents don't build in the time like they're just busy they're out of the house until 8 p.m every single night yeah and it, it relates to everything we were talking about because if you're practicing with a student in the lesson and it's musical and enjoyable and you know they're able to do it Mm-hmm. then they're more likely to do it at home versus exactly. like it's something they can't do and it's hard and you just tell them go practice. It's like, mm-hmm. well, that's not going to be fun, you know? Yeah, because it's still people, hard. <laughs> right, yeah. People I didn't like, have success. Exactly. People like doing things that they're good at. Yes. <laughs> it's more fun, you know? Like I hated like baseball in, in gym class mm-hmm. in school because I was not good at all. Like I couldn't hit the ball. I couldn't pitch Mm -hmm. i didn't want to i didn't want to do it i hated it um if i was good you know then i would like it but then there's the chicken and the egg thing because Mm -hmm. well maybe i i could have gotten better maybe if i practiced but i didn't want to because i wasn't good so you know like you need a little bit of motivation to or some help getting a little better and then you see like oh actually it's kind of fun i got a little better and then and then i want to try it again right Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And that's hard when you have a student who isn't really good at piano or for whatever reason, they just don't have intrinsic, intrinsic, uh, intrinsic motivation. I don't know why that was hard word. Mm-hmm. It, it's hard to watch them. But I, th- I think that, you know, for me as a teacher, I am, I have to think about, okay, what, how can I give them success? Um, even if their parent is making them take piano, maybe you don't take students like that. Um, sometimes I do because usually because they're paired with a sibling who's taking lessons. Um, yeah. Or it just happens when you have siblings taking together and one of them kind of naturally dislikes lessons or becomes ungood at it. I don't know. There's probably much more there, uh, sibling order and stuff like that. Um, Mm -hmm. But I think that um, I, as a teacher, have to find if they're, if I'm continuing with them, if we are going to do lessons, I have to work really hard to find something they can be good at. I think music is powerful that way. Um, I'm not sure that baseball has that same opportunity to be for for anyone. So... um, you know, I, I also hated baseball because I was no good at it. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, I was no good at anything. Um, but I I think anyone can really kind of have success at piano. Their tool or their thing might be improvisation. They may mm-hmm. never read a note on a page ever. I think that's fine. Okay. Well, yeah, this has been a good conversation. Um, is there anything else you wanted to mention about practicing or how to practice? I can't think of anything um, other than like, it takes time. Don't rush um, a student into it. And every student's different. 
truly, um, you know, so Bonnie, my student might take a year, whereas another transfer student might take three months to kind of get on, on board with uh, practicing. Uh, but build it. I, th I have had to do a lot of thinking about beginning students because I didn't have that modeled again. And it's been a long time since I was a very, very beginning student starting out piano. And so, yeah, many years ago, I switched to like no practice beginners. Like I tell mm -hmm. parents, they don't have to practice. And the ones that do, great. They come back and they're excited. The ones that don't, doesn't bother me. <laughs> Yeah. Well, I, that's interesting too. That could be a whole other topic too. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I know some people that would freak out like, what? You don't require them to practice? Well, I would say yeah. at the beginning, you know, once we're talking right. about the second book or maybe the third book, you know, pieces are longer and that sort of thing. Yeah. It's mm -hmm. gonna, practice is going to heat up, uh, but I'm teaching them how to practice. So that's, that's a different thing about my lessons. All right. Well, um, thank you, Michael. Yes. Yeah. It's been a great conversation. And um, I'll put those five tips in the show notes. And I'm your host, Clinton Pratt. This is the Piano Sensei Way. And see you next time.